Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's May 23rd, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Andrew Egger and Michael Warren of The Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Hello, hello. Okay, so we're going to get to Spygate in a, a moment, but uh, we have this breaking news story. I'm trying to figure out what to make of this. The BBC reporting that Michael Cohen, who seems to find himself at the center of any swampy thing that's going on, uh, this, of course, is Donald Trump's personal lawyer, received a secret payment of at least $400,000 to fix talks between the Ukrainian president and President Trump, according to sources in Kiev, close to those involved. So, uh, Andrew, what do you make of this story? Well, uh, first of all, it's it's a remarkable story. It's, you know, yet another um, a, a example of this uh rapidly developing pay-to-play uh, stuff surrounding Michael Cohen that that, that we've seen over, over the past couple of weeks this is the first uh, the, the the first such p- potential payment that if true would likely be a crime since he did not register as uh, a foreign agent at any, at any point to do lobbying work for the Ukrainian government um, one, one thing you know obviously that's that's very substantial if you're Michael Cohen um, in terms of the the, the broader importance to the uh, the the nation. I think that one one thing that's interesting here is that as as Michael Cohen becomes more and more of a figure that's wrapped up in all these things, is that if we look way back um, to to how he got wrapped up into all of this, uh, it's it's important to remember that it's not Mueller's team, it's not Special Counsel Robert Mueller's team uh, that is putting this uh, that it, that is prosecuting mm-hmm. him for for anything. He outsourced that to uh, the the Southern District of New York's uh, att- U.S. Attorney's Office, and they're the ones who uh, are you know pursuing that prosecution. They're the ones who have extracted a, a plea deal. It came out yesterday from uh, one of Cohen's close associates, the, the, the Taxi King guy whose name escapes me right now. But but they're the ones who are in the driver's seat of all this. Now, now Cohen could still play an important role in the Mueller investigation if the uh, Southern District of New York prosecutors uh, were to strike some sort of deal with him that involved him testifying or, or, or you know cooperating with the Mueller probe, but it would not be Robert Mueller himself who would right. be pursuing that. Well, I mean, a few weeks ago, you know, we, we started hearing these reports that the folks in the White House were much more concerned about the investigation into Michael Cohen than they were even into the Russian matter. And I think the more we find out, the more we understand that anxiety, because uh, I, I don't think it's going too far to say that, that that Michael Cohen hangs around with a lot of mobbed up folks, um, whether he's mobbed up himself, uh, we will find out. But the extent of the sleaze, the pay for play, um, all of this, uh, these the, the shady connections do do seem all those lines seem to connect with with Michael Cohen. And I thought it was interesting. We're going to get to Spygate in a moment. But the, the president comes out and he says, you know, that uh, all he wants is full transparency. This Everyone should agree on full transparency about everything. Look, I, the last thing on earth Donald Trump wants and Michael Cohen wants is full transparency about what we're about to find out. So, Michael Warren, why would the part about the story that I don't quite get is why would the Ukrainian president need to pay off Michael Cohen to get a meeting with the president of the United States. Well, I agree, uh, Charlie, that, that that was the part of the story that sort of confounded me. Uh, in the story which the BBC reported, um, the idea was, and this is, I'm just reading from from what the article mm-hmm. says, is that uh, the, the, that his, um, uh, Cohen's involvement could help make the uh, uh, Ukrainian president's visit more than just a brief photo op. Uh, Mr. Poroshenko, who's the, uh, the president of Ukraine, uh, needed something that could be portrayed as, quote, 
talks. So I, I suppose that was what the Ukrainians were paying for. But it's just it's a little odd because it's it's a sort of official thing. And the, Michael Cohen is not official uh, in any way uh, with the president of the United States, the United States government. Um, he is uh, this is exactly why it is a crime uh, to uh, not be registered as a foreign agent um, for, for people to essentially be there's doing, a reason for that law. That's right. And, and, and I thought it was interesting. This one paragraph in the BBC story, uh, the meeting at the White House did take place in June. Shortly after the Ukrainian president returned home, his country's anti-corruption agency stopped its investigation into Trump's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort. Now, of course, that's a coincidence, right? Because we believe in coincidences. To- totally. I mean, well, there's nothing that would make us think that this is the way that Trump world <laughs> operates, right? Uh, oh, actually, uh, it does. Uh, but I mean, th- I think, you know, whether it's Ukraine. But Hillary's emails. Right. Well, well, I didn't help myself. <laughs> well, this is a weird this is a weird thing, actually, where, you know, a lot of the uh, is a little bit of a projection. A lot of the way that uh, uh, conservatives and sort of pro-Trump folks. Um, went after Hillary Clinton uh, are kind of reflected in the way Trump world operates. They're they're actually not that not that different in the way um, maybe the Trump world is a little more brazen about it. Um, but I think whether you're talking about Ukraine and Eastern Europe uh, or even Donald Trump's New York, this Michael Cohen is the way things are done, and I think that. Um, a lot of America done for a very long for a very time. long time. I think a lot of Americans who voted for him. Um, didn't really quite understand the, the the sort of nature of the way business is done, at least in, in the way Donald Trump does business uh, in New York. Uh, and I think that, you know, if that, that the, if we learn anything from all of this uh, and we learn more about the way Donald Trump really does sort of run uh, his, his, his private life and his business life, um, it could hurt him maybe just on the margins um, politically by people who look to him as somebody who was supposedly going to be draining the swamp. Yeah, I mean, you know, part of it, the appeal was, you know, I know how to drain the swamp because I am a swamp creature, right? Um, <laughs> right. I know how the system Fair works enough. because I am part of it. So he turned that from a, you know, a negative into a positive, but I'm not sure people fully have grasped the degree to this. Now, and it was all it was uh, all very abstract then, too. You know, it's one right, thing to exactly. say I'm a swamp creature, and it's another to look at these, you know, very specific kind of gross <laughs> acts that have that have. Cl- at least allegedly that that have happened and then say I'm a swamp creature and this is what that means yeah and it's almost cartoonishly I mean it's it's like it's over the top cartoonishly now by the way I, I, I may be you know getting into an area that uh, that, that I will regret or that other people will regret but the uh, the stories you know Elliot Brody Brody who was uh, also one of uh, Michael Cohen's uh, clients at one point he's the he's the big fundraiser um, wheeler dealer uh, pay for play guy who uh, allegedly paid $1.6 million. We paid, did pay $1.6 million uh, to a, another Playboy playmate uh, to with whom he had an affair and apparently uh, impregnated. There's a lot of speculation that maybe it wasn't Elliot Brody who was the one who had the affair with uh, the, the, the playmate. I'm just going to leave that out there because I tweeted out this morning uh, that I think you're going to be seeing that name an awful lot more particularly as you begin to see some of the ways in which he was using his 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 access to to leverage some some pretty big bucks. Okay, so all of this uh, comes at the moment when a lot of the conservative media is not focused on the underlying 
Russia investigation, pay-to-play investigation, uh, whether or not the president was compromised, whether there was uh, money laundering. Instead, they are focused on what the president has now colorfully called Spygate. Um, and of course, the big meeting is going to take place yesterday. I'm mean, sorry, tomorrow, uh, where uh, intelligence officials will share certain information about this confidential informant with uh, Rep- uh, Republicans. No Democrats, as of right now, have been invited to this meeting. So, give me your take on on the the revelations that there might have been this this academic uh, might have been an undercover. But uh, informant for the FBI. Yeah. Well, first, can I say, Charlie, that Spygate was originally uh, the term for uh, uh, the the Bill Belichick Patriots scandal, where they were filming uh, of the other teams and wa- sort of watching mm-hmm. there. So, you know, I I think this is really unfair uh, to uh, to the NFL and to, uh, of course, the Patriots were uh, you know fined and 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 punished for all that. But just want to lay that out there. Make I'm sure hopping remember. mad that yeah. it might get that it might get a, a retooled. So this is Spygate <laughs> now and the the crimes against humanity of the New England. Patriots might be might be forgotten, right? Um, but that I would, would be an impeachable offense. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, Bill, uh, yeah, Robert Kraft uh, and uh, Tom Brady, friends of Donald Trump. Um, but look, I think there's a de- there's a weird debate going on with all of this, which is um, you do see sort of the pro-Trump media insisting, uh, and this is now trickled up to the president himself, insisting that it, it's very important that we we call a spade a spade and call a spy a spy, and that what we've what uh, this this professor living in the UK who talked to George Papadopoulos and Carter Page um, was a spy in the Trump campaign, and aha, what's in this? The deep state was doing everything they could to spy on Trump because they were just trying to get him. Um, in, in this case, you know, I'm always in favor of using words uh, and, and using the word that 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 uh, that best describes it, not trying to be euphemistic uh, or trying to be politically correct. Um, but in this case, it seems to me that trying to in, enforce this use of the word spy for for this professor is actually obscuring the the issue. It's obscuring what exactly he did. Um, th- we have this idea of a spy as somebody who's you know sort of like working within the inner workings of the Trump campaign, getting paid by the FBI to cause all kinds of uh, you know espionage. Espionage, and that this is really terrible. If you look at what Steph Halper, the professor uh, who's alleged to be this person, and everybody basically agrees is, what he did, he was paid by the FBI to talk to two people, uh, George Papadopoulos and Carter Page, and maybe one more person, I think Clovis. Sam Clovis, yeah, uh, the Sam third, Clovis. third person, um, to talk to them. Um, and he had a few conversations with them, kind of gauged where where they were thinking about getting information from. Uh, about Hillary Clinton, uh, and these people talked to him. Now, is George Papadopoulos? We were told when he was indicted was um, was the uh, uh, was the, the coffee boy, right? He's this guy who's not that important for the campaign. Uh, we, 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 he was just he was just a minor person, and this is just them. You know, they, they're going after the Trump campaign in any way they can. Now we're told that he is. That he was the FBI's way to get to the top tiers of the Trump campaign through this spy. I mean, it's it's out it's it's ludicrous, really, and it sort of shows a um, a lack of understanding about the way the FBI works, the way that that this uh, informant was was doing the work that the FBI does all the time, you which know, is essentially well, try to find yeah. information. 
Yeah, let me just read you uh, the tweet from uh, former FBI Director James Comey this uh, this morning. He said, facts matter. The FBI's use of confidential human sources, which is the actual term, is tightly regulated and essential to protecting the country. Attacks on the FBI and lying about its work will do lasting damage to our country. How will Republicans explain this to their grandchildren? Well, going back to it, I, I guess the and, and I, I don't have a problem with the inspector general looking into this. I think it's inappropriate yes. for the president to be ordering that. But, you know, I, I do think that all of these things, you know, do need to be be vetted. But the larger context is that this is this is a president who is clearly ramping up his efforts to derail this investigation at the moment when this investigation seems to be uncovering things that are, I would think, should be recognized on a bar- bipartisan basis is rather troubling, including the story we just talked about a few minutes ago. Your thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And and I to, to, to go in a slightly different direction, um, I clearly there's 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 a lot to be said about the the damage that that trump and people around trump like uh, like michael caputo um have have been doing over the last couple of days by 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 milking this story and 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 you know making it into essentially a cartoon or caricature of of the mm-hmm. actual the actual story you know alleging this sort of like deep state uh machination type 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 behavior um at the same time i do think that um people who um are are more broadly concerned about um, the kind of surveillance powers and things that that the FBI has. There, there is a certain gripe here that that is is legitimate. That you know, some some non moon baddie type uh, analysts like Andy McCarthy at National Review have 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 been talking a lot about lately how it is. It is true that you know that the FBI it's really really easy for them to sort of start uh, these sort of counterintelligence probes on on not a lot of on, on no evidence of potential criminality and so there's there, there is potentially a gripe you know hidden in there at the same time you know you're you're absolutely right that you know regardless of how the, the the probe got started, whether or not there are any real concerns. The fact of the matter was that like soon after this this probe got started, we, we started to see a lot of, you know, bad signs for 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 Trump and and the, the, well, the former Trump campaign. Well it is it is interesting. It's all a matter of priorities to be concerned about the possibility that there was this confidential informant to be more concerned about that than than about the possibility that there were Russian agents who were implanted in this campaign or people who were being recruited by the Russians. I do think uh, that that everybody needs to have sort of tattooed or the, the sign up on the wall should be um, it's the corruption, stupid. It is the <laughs> Russians, stupid, because, you know, whatever comes from the Mueller probe, I would think I would like to see a little bit more urgency asking people, what is the nature of the threat to our democratic process and how are we going to respond? And I see almost no interest or sense of urgency about uh, that. I mean, the Secretary of Homeland, uh, the, the Homeland Security, that means the Department of yeah, Homeland, uh, yesterday, what, what is, I'm sorry, I don't have her name right in front of me. Um, yeah, Kirsten Nielsen. Yeah, I'm sorry, Kirsten Nielsen, that, that, that weird moment yesterday where she was asked, uh, you know, does she ac- accept the, uh, the consensus of the intelligence community that, uh, you know, that the Russians had tried to help Donald Trump. And, and she pretended that or didn't, you know, had, was unaware of it, did, had no I- idea. Now, this is the person who is tasked with protecting the country. And these attacks are going to come in, in 2018, not to mention just the overall swampiness of the corruption that we are talking about. Okay, I want to I uh, switch gears. I want to talk about where we're at on North Korea. I want to talk about the last night's primaries. 
whether or not uh, the, uh, the the Democrats are, are strengthening their hand or weakening their hand. But today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by RX Bar. Now, RX Bar set out to create a new kind of protein bar with a few simple clean ingredients and where every ingredient serves a purpose. And they label all of these ingredients, like the egg whites, dates, nuts, on the front of the package, and then the ingredients that make up the texture and taste on the back. And these core ingredients really are, are the ones that do all the, the talking. And in contrast to many of the other uh, other other bars, which have all kinds of other stuff in it, you know, basically eating an RX bar is like eating three egg whites, two dates, and six almonds. And they're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no added sugar, no added artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or fillers. The egg whites are the source of protein that is the easiest for your body to absorb, and they come in 11 delicious flavor varieties. And as of May 14th, there are three new flavors, mango, pineapple, peanut butter and berries, and chocolate hazelnut. Also, starting May 21st, RX Bar introduces the RX Nut Butter, uh, made with the same core ingredients as the RX Bar protein bars. The new nut butters are include a base of nuts, obviously, uh, peanuts or almonds, egg whites and dates. Available in honey, cinnamon, peanut butter, peanut butter, and vanilla almond butter. Um, I frankly... As somebody that travels and doesn't always have a chance to have uh, lunch, where you get caught on an airplane where they no longer feel the obligation to feed you, having one of those in my bag is uh, is is highly recommended. So here's a special offer for our listeners. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com standard, enter promo code standard. So again, that's rxbar.com slash standard, enter promo code standard for 25% off. Speaking of off... Um, so the the North Korean uh, summit, is it on or is it off? Who wants to take a swing at this? Uh, check in with me next week uh, or uh, tomorrow. I mean, it, it is on, Charlie, uh, until it's off. I, I'm actually a little more – I'm less skeptical that this is going to blow up, so to speak. I actually think, <laughs> I actually think that mm. they are going to go through with this meeting even as the North Koreans uh, and Kim – are sort of resuming their very aggressive uh, rhetoric about you know the United States trying to get the um, the United States to stop its joint exercises with the South Koreans, um, because at the end of the day, Donald Trump wants to have this meeting. He he wants it. Does he want it too much though? I I, I, I believe he wants it too much. I think he's yeah. there's a risk he's willing to give away. I talked to somebody. I may have mentioned this on the podcast. I talked to somebody. It was last week or so from the South Korean government, who is very uh, excited about the the possibilities here. Of course, the South Korean government is the one who's very very much pushing this uh, idea. It's much more open South Korean government than more conservative mm -hmm. ones. Um, but even this person said that a big concern in in Seoul is that Donald Trump is so eager to have not just have the meeting, but have a, a, a deal coming mm -hmm. out of this that he's going to be willing to. Uh, not actually get full denuclearization, that he might actually kind of hedge about what full denuclearization of uh, North Korea really looks like uh, and uh, and that the overarching sort of need to have a deal will crowd out what we're, we're told every day, as we were told yesterday, that the, the president still has clear eyes and he's willing to walk away from a deal. I just don't think that comports with everything we know about the president and what he's trying to get here. I mean, the key point to, that everybody needs to understand, of course, is that we've already made a massively huge concession by agreeing to this summit. You know, in, you know, Kim has already gotten the upper hand by 
arranging for a meeting where he gets to sit down, you know, as a head of state with the president of the United States. Um, Andrew, what is what is your sense on this? When I say, you know, the president wants it too much, you know, the worst thing you can do in a negotiation is is basically let the other side know that uh, that uh, you're, you're kind of desperate for a deal, any deal. And uh, the North Koreans have been at this a lot longer than Donald Trump. Well, and I think one of the especially worrying things that we've seen, you know, at least just in, in the past few weeks, is a lot of the president's supporters, you know, who, who you know, on, on pretty much any subject will sort of fall over themselves to be the most effusive in their praise and the, the have his back the, the most. But all, all of the, the, the talk about, um, you know, a potential Nobel Prize and, and things like that it was chanted at, at some rallies and things that he, he ate that up a lot. I mean, obviously, that creates a pretty powerful perverse incentive uh, for, for exactly what Mike was just talking about to, to 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 come out with something that he can that he can put forward as a win to those people, um, regardless of, of what the Koreans come to the table willing willing to offer um, and you know makes it hard for him to certainly twist Kim's arm with the possibility of just walking away I will say that at, at the very least in in their public statements the, the the White House has has been good and has been strong about um, you know uh, the, the possibility that, that, that they will walk away and, and not just, you know, in the official statements, you know, Trump, anytime he's asked about it, he's, he's acted almost sort of nonchalant about, you know, if, if it goes through, that's, that's great. And it'll be really good for North Korea. If it doesn't go through, it doesn't go through. And we're okay with that. And I think, I mean, that's obviously the best possible thing he could say to that question right now. I mean, what the, what the political realities will end up being when the summit actually happens, you know, th- those dangers are there. Uh, but I do think it's, it's worth acknowledging that, that they are at least uh, keeping a, a hard line there, uh, at present, which is a good thing. Okay, let's talk about the the primaries last night. Uh, this is sort of at the bottom of the of the list, but um, you have uh, uh, Democratic primaries around the country. Um, you know, one of the uh, obviously uh, narrative lines are the number of women that are winning these primaries, um, including African American women, uh, uh, Latino women, uh, and and also the number of uh, quote unquote outsiders. So, your sense on balance, Michael Warren. Uh, have the Democrats strengthened their hand as a result of these primaries, or are they going in reverse? Uh, I don't know if we can we can sort of make a uh, uh, make a descriptive uh, assessment mm-hmm. of them. I think we can only sort of, um, uh, or I should say, we could we, we we can make a descriptive assessment of what what we learned from these primaries, which is that there seems to be a lot of enthusiasm on the left um, for. Uh, for doing something in 2018. I think that bodes well for Democrats uh, and it probably uh, helps them a lot more than their current poll numbers are. Um, the, well, let me let me talk to you about that because, you know, the conventional wisdom has shifted from, um, you know, a few weeks ago it was a, was going to be the blue wave. Was it going right. to be a blue tidal wave or is it just going to be a blue wave? Now there seems to be a shift in the conventional wisdom. These poll numbers are shrinking. Um, what is your sense of the state of play? My sense is that that Republicans are, I mean, I, I get a, a palpable sense of, of increased optimism among Republicans about the state of play. What do you think? I think that that increased optimism is warranted. Uh, I don't know if it's warranted enough to say that, uh, uh, hey, we're gonna we're gonna walk away and and uh, and and still have the majority in November. I think Democrats re- remain uh, have have the advantage. They just don't have the advantage that they had uh, in terms of those that generic ballot number and those sorts of things. The economy is doing very well. I think that hurts the Democrats' uh, message, and you can see that. Republicans Republicans 
um, are really trying to push the idea that if Democrats get uh, uh, control of the House, they will impeach Trump. Well, that's tr- that's true. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's a true line. Exactly. Well, you but know, Democrats don't want people to know that. that. that I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. And the Democrats rolled out their 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 New Deal plan and everything, which uh, sounds like you know, I mean they're, they're clearly shifting to the left. Um, you know, one of the questions, of course, is is how the, the party is going to be defining its. I mean, how it defines itself, whether it is deciding that it's going to double down on turning out the hardcore progressive base um, as the as the winning candidate in uh, the Georgia governor's race was was arguing or whether or not they would be reaching out to the center right center left voters who are in play because you know there are, there are Romney Clinton voters you know there are we're Obama Trump voters it's you know you're not going to move the hardcore Trumps you know Trump supporters you're not going to move the hardcore Democrats but I do think that there are a lot of votes in play and where the Democrats have been successful so far this year and they got the Connor Lamb uh, victory was being able to appeal to those voters but I really get a sense that a lot of uh, the Democrats Really don't want to do that. They 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 want to uh, shift to the left. They they want to double down on uh, progressive politics in order to turn out their their base. Uh, uh, who who do you think has the upper hand on this, if anybody so far, Andrew? Well, at least as far as the this most recent slate of of primaries are are, are concerned, you know, it's I I don't know whether it, you can attribute it to the fact that outsiders are having a moment or the fact that the progressive uh, base is sort of riled up or some combination of the two things. But we've seen a number of uh, the these these races go the way of the the progressive. I don't know whether that. Um, Will ultimately have an impact j- just on um, you know the, the kind of voters that will turn out in November, but it will also certainly have um, an impact just on how cohesive the party can be. You know, w- whichever way they end up leaning, how well they can succeed in sort of uh, fixing these these problems. Because obviously, I mean, obviously the the, the Republican Party in, in in the House especially is not um, you know one big happy family right now, as I'm, I'm sure you've talked about uh, in, in the past couple of days on here. But but you know the the fact that we are seeing on, on the democratic side as well some of these candidates who are you know fighting in these primaries against uh, more mainstream democratic candidates who are backed by the national party and things like that and still winning um i i think that that's going to continue to create yep. some of these upheavals that, that that might help republicans close the gap in november yeah let me let me pick up on that point uh, the what's what's going on now with paul ryan and the republican caucus because you know even though there is this uh, i would say palpable sense of of confidence there's also a palpable sense of frustration that's going on and the way this story played out uh mike you were out in uh, you were out in, uh, in in Colorado when Mick Mulvaney made some of his uh, comments on the record, uh, suggesting that yeah, uh, maybe uh, Ryan should be you know pushed out the door and uh, move move Kevin McCarthy up. Uh, give me your sense of of what's of what is going on in that caucus behind the scenes. Well, it definitely seems, uh, and, and a credit to my colleagues who reported on this, uh, it seems like there was an attempt uh, to, to to have a coup against uh, Paul Ryan, this idea that he was hurting them, uh, that he he needed to be moved, moved out. And I think, um, you know, McCarthy's denials and sort of backing away from that notwithstanding, this was something they were con- seriously considering. I don't know how wise 
it was. It was sort of clever, but maybe clever by half, uh, too clever by half. Um, you know, the idea that you could force Democrats to have to vote for Nancy Pelosi for in a speaker's race in the fall, right before the voters had to go to the polls, so Republicans could run these ads that say, um, you know, look at this so so and so Democrat voted for Nancy Pelosi just two weeks ago. Um, you know, there's an easy way to get out of that, as people have pointed out, which is Democrats <laughs> could just vote present. Uh, I don't. I, I, exactly. I, I followed Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and also, for, how, how many how many um, vulnerable Democrats are there this year? Incumbents uh, right now. I mean, we are talking about what two, three, four. That's right. That's right. There are and there are a lot of seats actually where Republicans are um, defending those seats where Democrats are trying Democratic challengers so are you, trying to you win. blow up you you blow up your leadership. You engage in a divisive leadership fight because you might make two or three or four <laughs> Democratic incumbents uncomfortable. I mean, that was the the thing that struck me is that this is really a dumb idea. Because, you know, Paul Ryan clearly is is I see the story in the Washington Post is losing his grip on the Republican caucus. Well, no kidding. Wasn't it John Boehner who said that being speaker was trying to like trying to keep 218 frogs in a wheelbarrow? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, nothing's changed. And OK, so uh, Boehner had problems. Ryan's having problems. Does anybody have a name of anyone who would be able to solve these problems, who would be able to get the Freedom Caucus guys back in line, who would be able to keep 218 frogs in the wheelbarrow? Uh, yes. Anybody out there do a better job? Uh, well, her name is House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if there's one one thing that you can do to sort of uh, unite Republicans, it might be sort of to uh, uh, put them back in the minority. Uh, although they may not even behave behave well uh, in, in that sense. So, uh, but look, you look at at, at McCarthy's effort uh, or his his the beginnings of his effort. It was actually you know it, it was a little unifying in the sense that he was trying to pick off both moderates who were upset about um, uh, about some of these uh, trying to get some of these votes and thinking that Paul Ryan was sort of dragging his feet on 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 uh, DACA uh, uh, bill and also uh, getting you know the sort of freedom caucus who's always sort of got this rage against the establishment to go along with it but it's uh, again even if you're trying to institute a coup it, it is like getting all those frogs uh, to stay in the wheelbarrow well thanks gentlemen thank you for uh, joining me and thank you for listening to the daily standard podcast I'm Charlie Sykes we'll be back again tomorrow and we'll do this all over again <laughs>